0: Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth.
1: Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. It's hard to believe, but the ASX 200 is presently hovering at close to record highs, which when you consider how this year started is quite fascinating. The benchmark was actually up 6% in the last four weeks, although as we know, that can change. While globally, there is plenty to worry about, and we've been talking about that a lot on this podcast, I think for those who've been around for a while, this period is feeling a little bit familiar Today, I'm speaking with Gaurav Sodhi of Intelligent Investor, who started as a resource analyst with that research company and now covers a variety of stocks. Gaurav, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Hi, Gemma, and and thanks for the acknowledgement that I have indeed been around for a while. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the reason I always mention that, though, is because we have so many younger and newer investors. You know, we're Roughly half of our traders started trading in the last two years. And I mean traders and investors. And I keep talking about it, but it's just been such a unique period. And so we've got all of these investors who made 50% in four months and now find yeah. this market really confusing and difficult. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. worth talking about the other periods that markets might feel like
0: yeah, no, no, I agree. Um experience is one of those strange things. Um, it always is spoken about as a positive, and I think it is on a net basis a positive, but there are downsides to experience as well because I think it makes you more timid. You start to refer to the past rather than analyze things on a fresh basis, and it can hold you back a little bit as well. I, I have uh, I, I can see the downside of. A long experience, but it certainly has bonuses too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, I've made the comment before. I thankfully didn't start during the tech wreck, I started after the tech wreck. And all of the investors and traders that I saw were just depressed. I was so depressed because they just had the rug pulled out from under them and their clients hated mm. them and it was all pretty miserable. Uh mm. and but then I also was investing through the GFC, and that was mm. just such a formative experience. It was really, really brutal. Yep. You, you know, no one had a particularly terrible time during the COVID crash, right? Like you had three weeks of feeling rough and then you know a couple of years of doing incredibly well. Most of our investors were buying through that period. And so Yeah, they've had quite a good time. But we've been talking about how dark everything is at the moment and how concerning the future could be. Rising interest rates, which are really foreign concept for a lot of people Mm. listening. Uh, you know, you're really going back to what, the late 80s, early 90s to find a really aggressive Mm. hiking cycle.
0: Mm.
1: And certainly on a percentage basis relative or you're on a relative basis, which is what we'll experience. And then also the geopolitical turmoil that we're facing into. What I was going to say is I'm starting to feel like I have seen this market before in that global stocks are all over the show at the moment. The tech sector has fallen dramatically. I Mm. saw a comment this morning about Zillow, which is sort of the realestate.com in the US, Mm. uh, which has fallen, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, like over 90% in 12 months. Like it's been absolutely destroyed. Wow. And we're we're not feeling that here as much. Like tech's fallen a lot, but the ASX keeps marching on. When you look at the aggregate market, it's looking really good. And you guys have recently written a piece about why this isn't the tech wreck all over again. I'm starting to feel like this is the early 2000s, the sort of post-tech wreck, everyone's not as excited about tech as they used to be, and the resurgence of resources. Are you getting that feel?
0: Gemma, every cycle um, is similar to another cycle and every cycle is different Um, yeah the movements of the indices, I think, says a lot about the composition of those specific indices more than it says about the mood of the general market. So you know the Australian index is predominantly banks and resources, and so it's moved in a different direction to u s indexes where the composition is much more tech focused, even on that on that tech indexes. um you look at the NASDAq and I know it has fallen um, a, a fair way, um but Uh, beneath those top handful of stocks, there has been absolutely carnage on the NASDAQ. I think I saw that about 50% of all listed companies on the NASDAQ are down by more than 50%, which is just extraordinary. Yet the index is only down, what is it, um, less than 20%. So there's a handful of stocks that are just holding up that entire index in the US. And in Australia, there's a handful of sectors that are holding up the entire index and beneath the surface there's a whole bunch of mess going on and i, I think that's as it should be you know um sometimes i think it's a bit of a, a false a false idea to, to look at the index and and to think you have an understanding about what's really happening what you have an understanding of is is the the, the, the composition of the index that's what you're really looking at and it might not be reflective of what's happening underneath um, we've been saying for a while, and, and I'm on record as saying for a while that I, that there are clear similarities between now and that late '90s period, which um, which I was around for as well. It was remarkable. Um, it's funny. I, I got caught up in the hype of the '90s, and I got caught up in the gloom of the GFC, and both those have been. Uh, just instrumental in how I have been shaped as an investor. I think you need to go through these extremes to find your true investing north. And if you're just going through happy times or normal times in the market, you're never really going to develop as an investor. These really rocky periods um, are super important. And um, uh, to to any novices or anyone who's new to investing, I just think these, these are the moments that you really want to um you know savor and, and think about in your later periods because they um they teach you so much I, I know there's a lot to worry about Jim I agree there's I mean I can't think of a period where we can take off as many um worries as we can now you know I mean it's almost biblical in proportion we've got you know disease floods rains uh, war um, everything looks like it's it's going badly. And, and, and in particular, I think this uh, the inflation cycle and the direction of interest rates is particularly worrisome. But all of these are also very well known and they're very well understood. And they're starting to be priced into asset prices. I'm generally of the view that if you're going to invest in equities, you need to be optimistic. Um, equities is not a place for the pessimistic. It's a place for people who believe in the future and think that the future is going to be better than it is today. And if you don't believe that, I think you ought to go and and buy some bonds or something instead. And equity markets just aren't for you. Um, You have to be optimistic. Um, And that doesn't mean you have to be optimistic every day or all the time, but your your general disposition has to be optimism. And I think over time, optimism pays. I'm, I'm probably not as pessimistic now as I think the general mood would indicate. Um, you know, in, in any sort of market, um, in any kind of mood, there are always opportunities. I think there are opportunities now as well.
1: I don't think I've ever had anyone talk about optimism as a critical, a critical skill. Do I call it a skill? Uh, a disposition. A, a critical disposition. I believe it is a skill, yeah. actually. You can cultivate it. Yeah, probably it probably is a enough. skill, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a critical skill for investors. I love it. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: What I was going to say is when I look at what investors are buying and selling on NAB Trade, which is Mm. always a great indicator of what the mood of the average retail investor is, and often there's some telling points in who's trading as well as Mm. what's being Mm. traded, and I use the term trading loosely, it's often, you know, these are investments, people aren't turning them over every day. Uh, We're really now down to a handful of sectors, Right. Um, you're normally and when I say normally in the period I've been doing this which is maybe six years you know we get a massive uh, we've got a massive database of information and you use you know, a really long list of things that people are interested in at the moment it's materials some banks less banks than two years ago and energy and that is so dramatically different to two years ago I cannot tell you BHP was the only materials company in the top 10 two years yep. ago particularly during the COVID crash and admittedly there were three travel stocks in the top 10 which is highly unusual but they were there for a reason it's a real shift does that shift make sense to you?
0: Yeah well let's go back to optimism for a second because that is certainly I think one superpower that um, that investors should should cultivate and should have. The other one and less obvious, I think, is the the ability to be able to look foolish for long periods of time. If you're investing in stocks and you're not prepared to look like an idiot for a, a time, I think you're going to have a difficult time. Um, you know, if you always want to be right all the time, you're going to have uh, a tough time in markets. Um, this is not a vanity project. Uh, this is this is an endeavor that requires you to leave your ego firmly at the door and and to be um, And to be rational, Uh, you know, when 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 we break down what we're actually doing when we're investing, we are putting money at risk um, to make a return in the future. And there's we're really making decisions in infinitely uncertain environment. And there are two things we need to make those decisions: we need some sort of analytical input about what the future is going to look like, and then we need some emotional control about. You know, how we're going to react when we get those analytical inputs. Um, you know, you can use, I think most people get the analysis right, and it's not hard to get the analysis right. That's the easy part. What really drives markets up and down is, is partly people getting different answers to the analysis, but the, the, the core, most of it, most of these huge fluctuations and the waves of what's hot and what's not comes from psychology, comes from the disposition of people to be greedy and fearful, and when they are greedy and fearful, and here's the interesting thing, Gemma, when when people do get greedy, when they do get fearful, when they reach those extremes of emotion, they do it all at the same time. And that's why that's why we get everyone moving into the same sectors at the same time. You're, I completely agree. There's, there's no question that there's a handful of sectors that are driving excitement and driving share prices at the moment. And if you go back a year, it was a completely different set of sectors that were driving those same things. And that's got to do Partly with what's going on in the world, I think that there's no question that there's, there's a portion of truth to what's um, to what's driving all the excitement. But there's no denying that there's also a large dose of emotion about what's driving all these decisions as well. And I think the the job of the investor is really to um, to keep sight of the analysis and keep control of the emotion. Um, we've actually been um, quite enthusiastic about energy and commodity stocks over the last two years. and you know i, I think i was probably the first um, analyst in the country to to buy coal stocks when no one wanted to. and i sat there looking like an idiot for a couple of years and quite happy to do so. You know, we we fielded angry calls, people questioning our sanity, people questioning our ethics, wondering what we were doing, people threatening to pull money from us. um and and you know, uh, I think that's all required. You you have to be able to look like a fool for periods of time. And it's instructive to see what the crowd is doing, but I, I would say it's important that you not get sucked into what everyone else is doing. Um, for me, and this is for me, it could be different for other people. For me, investing is uh is is for the outsider you know I, I think you do better if you do something different if you do what everyone else is doing you're going to get the same results as everyone else you really need to force yourself to do something different and in today's environment i'm not sure that's buying banks and commodities anymore um i don't think they're overly expensive and i think there's probably especially in there, there are parts of the commodities market where i, I still think there's opportunity and. I still think there's more room to, to run. But increasingly, um, I find myself and the team at Intelligent Investor is now looking elsewhere outside those sectors. And, and that's where we're finding the, the bulk of our opportunity. And it's a bit of a curious mindset, but I do think it's, it's one that's necessary to generate outsized returns over time.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Because I was going to say my next question is, you're not exclusively, but you started as a resource analyst and I do find resource oh. analysts are, uh, I'm going to say unique. That's always an overused Special, trait, um, special we're called. Special, that but you, <laughs> your resource analysts are dedicated in a way to their sector that you don't find you're with right. other types of analysts, unless it's healthcare where it's a real specialist knowledge set. Um, I do find, it, you know, if you really want to understand healthcare, you probably want to have some kind of background.
0: It, it's a good observation. Actually, you're right. I, I was just thinking about that as you were saying it, and I think it's because when you when you start, no one re- I mean, resources typically isn't where the where the sexiness is, where the money is, or or where the sharpest minds generally lie. <laughs> it's uh, it's usually um, it, it, it some a resource analyst usually comes comes to that area because of some sort of passion or some sort of love. Um, You know, and and, uh, I started out in in resources because um, I I, I was always been interested in rocks and minerals. And I think it's fascinating. But there's also, I would say, more diabolical motive at play as well. I think resources uniquely in uh, in the market is an area where um, you get, um, you know, every time you, you make a trade, every time you buy a stock, it's a zero sum game, you know, it's you versus someone else. It's the buyer versus the seller. One person is right. One person is wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you want to be on the right side of that equation. I think your chances of being on the right side increase enormously when the competition is focused on fads and, uh, doesn't understand uh, the techniques and is, uh, is more motivated by emotion and greed. Uh, rather than uh, you know than by by serious analysis. And I think resources and I would say probably biotechs are two areas where you can cultivate a good competitive advantage just by being sensible and rational um, and, and not acting like a yahoo. Um, because overwhelmingly those sectors are dominated by people, who aren't sensible and rational. So I, I just like the uneven competition that you get in those areas. Um, and I understand rocks and minerals much better than I understand um biotechnology. So that's that would seem like a natural home. But I, I would agree with your original observation. It starts with some sort of passion. They're not sexy areas in most in most markets and uh, and and nor should they be.
1: I uh, I remember very well the uh resources uh he wasn't really an analyst he'd been doing it for a very long time and and led the research efforts in resources when i first started in the industry uh, mm. and he'd been ignored for 20 years <laughs> <He'd been laughs> absolutely ignored no one had any interest at all they were only interested in tech and all this hot stuff at the time yeah. and he yep. it just like this poor guy there every day grinding out some story about A mine somewhere or what he thought was the next big thing and people just just could not care less. Uh, And then back to my point about the early 2000s, so for those who were not around during that period, we talk about the tech bubble and we talk about the GFC. We don't talk that much about what happened in between and that Mm -hmm. was when the ASX delivered some extraordinary returns. It was like 25% three years in a row. It was incredible, Mm -hmm. which was the whole China story, right? And so this guy who had been ignored for 20 years suddenly had his moment in the sun and everyone who had ignored him suddenly thought that he was definitely the person they needed to buy a drink from to get the best tip. It was quite (laughs) hilarious to watch the shift. Uh, So I was going to say, is this your time to shine? But you made the comment that you guys are moving on
0: yeah our portfolios have really benefited so so we've been in coal in particular it's probably our largest exposure exposure at the moment um our portfolios are we have a, a growth and in income portfolio they both have about 10 percent of the all their funds in in coal stocks we have an ethical portfolio in which we have zero coal obviously <laughs> but but um you know investors can choose where they want to put their money but i think um, you know, coal uh, and energy, I would say, as well, I would put oil and LNG and gas into that bucket as well. Um, for the last 18 months to two years, they have been chronically, and I would say irrationally, um mispriced, just completely ignored by investors. And during um, the research process, you know, I would talk to investors um, and industry insiders about those sectors, those energy sectors. And the feedback I got was, yeah, I know it looks kind of interesting, but we just can't buy it. And we just can't buy it was the typical refrain from most fund managers. It looks interesting, but we can't buy it. And, uh, and that for me is a, is a this music to my ears. To me, um, someone looking at something and deciding not to buy, not because they're unconvinced about the value or unconvinced about the asset, but because they have all these artificial restrictions and, and binds about what they can and can't buy, that that screams opportunity. Um, and it's taken a while for that to play out. Um, you know, we had to wait for energy prices to rise before we can really make money. But the the gains have been spectacular. I mean, um, I think we first started buying Whitehaven at less than a dollar. It is now approaching five. We've got rich dividends coming through. Same with New Hope. Uh, Woodside, um, Ditto, um, you know, it's it's been, and Karun is is the other one. Those four stocks have contributed yeah, hugely to um, the, the fund's performance. So I, I kind of feel as though we've had the moment in the sun. I, I think that's all played out. And um, it's now time to think really hard about um, whether there is still a mispricing opportunity In those sectors, I would say in in broader commodities, the market has really caught on. And, you know, we held um, big chunks in BHP and South32, which I think have been mispriced or underpriced for quite some time. I I don't think that's the case any longer. We actually just sold our entire South32 stake um, a week or two ago. Uh, and uh, I think it was a three-bag or so for us. Um, it's done wonderfully well. I still think it's a fantastic business, probably the best management in global mining, but um, the valuation compared to other opportunities no longer stacks up. And that's the kind of calculus I think we now have to make about individual miners. You know, Does the opportunity still stack up against the opportunity that's available elsewhere? Uh, in preview, I, I think uh, in energy there is still... Opportunity in coal stocks have moved a long way, but the environment for coal is now completely different to what it was. And I don't think it's just a short term thing. Um, I think we're stuck with coal prices for 12 months or longer. And it, that may not sound like a long time, but the amount of cash flow these coal miners are generating relative to their market caps, um, every month that coal stays anywhere close to its Um, current price makes a meaningful difference to the equity value of those coal miners. So I think we're we're still, I'm I'm still happy to hold those. And I think uh, high risk investors can still buy them. But elsewhere in the commodity space, I think we need to start thinking about reducing position sizes and just acting a bit more cautiously. The easy gains have been made in other parts. I think in these battery materials, there is a genuine chaotic boom happening and um uh, look i don't like the use of the term bubble because uh, i think it in, infers an arrogance on the person describing the bug the the development you know um i could be wrong but i think there's certainly um uh, let's just call it uh enthusiasm in that sector that's probably unwarranted a bit of irrational exuberance I was going to say that, but I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to sound like a like like a like an old prune fed governor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's still such a good expression though, right? like it it is it encapsulates it so clearly. Those, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what's going on sometimes. I was going to ask you about battery materials. Um, mm. One of our other guests said it was like shooting fish in a barrel at the moment. Um, it's just too easy to make money, which tends to make people who've been around for a while a bit nervous, no, that, right? Yes, I
0: think that's <laughs> that. That's almost the barometer of um, of experience. You know, if you, if you see a raging bull market like that, if one person is worried and the other person is frenetic and excited... Uh, that tells you who's the experienced one and who's the new one, I think, to, to the market. And, 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 you know, we could be wrong. There is no one doubts. You know, and this is true of every boom. I mean, every boom is built on a kernel of truth. You know, there is no doubt there is a demand um, explosion for lithium happening, not just lithium, but for all those battery materials. It's all happening. Um, And, um, you know, I don't doubt that several years from now, there's going to be a whole lot more electric cars. They're going to require a whole more battery packs, which is going to require a whole lot of lithium and graphene and, uh, and copper and whatnot. But, you know, that's only the demand side. And if you're betting on a boom, booming prices based on the demand without thinking about supply, then I think you're not thinking enough about the in you know about the entire industry and from my point of view i, I think lithium is is you know you get lithium from um, either from mining a hard rock called spodumene, or you can evaporate it in uh, uh in ponds um, known as brines either way they're an awful lot there's an awful lot of lithium and every miner in the world there's so much capital chasing more lithium supply where I think there is an opportunity in lithium is in processed lithium. You can either process lithium into a carbonate or a hydroxide. And if you do that, you get 10x um, your money uh, selling the same volume. So that's where the opportunity lies. There's a couple of companies who, are, who have exposure to that processed route, but it is much harder. It's no longer mining. We are now talking about a chemistry operation rather than a mining operation. And that's a, a completely different set of economics, a completely different set of risks. Um, I think there is, there remains opportunity there, but it's it's far more limited, and and I don't think it's as easy <laughs> as what people think.
1: It's the question that has to be asked at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> it is absolutely where all the interest is. It's, yeah. um, I could name ten lithium stocks that are uh, in our top fifty pretty much every single day at the moment, but it's yep. fun that people are finding something they're excited about. If you're looking beyond resources at the moment. What's catching your
0: eye? Yeah, I think this is more interesting. Actually, our resources exposure has um, has lifted performance. We've done really well. Um, you know, I'm quite happy with the way um, that whole part of our portfolio has done. I think now is the time to turn attention to the more neglected parts of the market. I'm not suggesting we we sell all miners and go hard in, into tech or anything. Isn't, I don't think this doesn't feel like a time for quick and hard decisions, the way that, you know, I remember in in the um, in the COVID crisis and in sort of early 2020s, um, we were working frenetically, upgrading stocks, buying stocks. I personally had this rule where every two weeks I was just allocating money almost randomly to the market. And I just thought there is so much panic, uncertainty and fear that you didn't really need to... You didn't need to hone your selections. You just had to be in the market. So every two weeks, I was just putting money in into the market, whatever, wherever I could find it, whatever I could find, it. you know, wherever I could buy, I just bought. And that proved to be a decent strategy. This is not that time. This is, I think, a time for a bit more meditation, a bit more caution, but it, we do have to act. Um, the opportunities we're finding now are more stock specific. I, I, there are sectors that, that have been beaten down, but I don't. I, th- I think there are there are more specific stock opportunities than than trying to target a sector or trying to tire, target an entire part of the market. Um, uh, a stock that we've um, upgraded recently um, that we've held and owned for a long time is something like Audinate, which is a a little um, a, a tech business that owns and designs a protocol a, a protocol is a. Is a software hardware integration um, that that makes uh, wireless audio systems, um, and uh, you know they dominate the market, and and, and I think um, it's a winner's take all market, and I think this is a, a future monopoly in the making. Uh, share price has fallen a long way, and it's something um, we've upgraded recently. We own a decent chunk of it in our portfolios already, but but I think that's come back to looking interesting. Mm-hmm. Businesses like Domino's Pizza, which I think is just an outstanding company with. Maybe the best management team on the ASX. I think that that's halved over the last twelve months, and I think that's looking interesting again. Um, a business like Breville, um, you know, these are and, and even I'm I'm going to say a scary name here, Gemma. So don't. I hope you're sitting down. But but Len which has been a disaster for probably twenty years, so there are real changes happening inside that business, and I think a lot of those changes have gone completely unrecognised, unnoticed, and maligned. But but here's a company where there's a lot of levers to pull, a lot of assets, a lot of ways to change things and to make money. And these are the sort of um, specific ideas that we're looking at at the moment, and, and, and there's there's more than you might think once you start looking.
1: That's quite a range. I mean, you could build a diversified portfolio just from the list you just gave. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's that's actually, I think that's part of the trick. Um, you know, I think one has to be very broad. I mean, I started out as a, as a resources analyst, but you can't just stick to one part of the market. There's never one way to make money. You really have to be broad and open-minded about lots of different ways um, to make money. So, yeah, we've been looking in all sorts of areas. And, and the more rocks you uncover, the more opportunities you find. It does,
1: it does feel like that kind of period, as you say. It's, it's not just throw money at anything, period. You only get a no. couple of those in your lifetime, I feel like. Yeah,
0: I agree. Only a couple in a lifetime. That's correct. Yeah.
1: And my approach was extremely similar. I've said before on this podcast, I actually managed to pick the absolute bottom of the market, <laughs> but it was because I was in meetings and I just, I needed, I mentally was like, oh, I've got to put some money in. And yeah. Yeah. Came out of a meeting was like, oh, I just need to place this trade and then go do something else and managed to pick the absolute bottom. But it was like the sheerest good luck you can imagine. <laughs> but it was kind of, it was a period where you just had to, you know, hold your breath and dive in. Yep. It was, you and kind of just in. had yeah. to throw something at it. It's, mm-hmm. um, and you never know, you might just be extremely lucky. It's mm-hmm. uh, in a lifetime, it doesn't make that much difference, but it was fun, it made me feel good.
0: I would much rather be lucky than competent in investing. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. like people people underestimate how important luck is, or how how much impact it has on your results. Yeah,
1: it's and as I've also made the point, like it was not exactly my entire portfolio. It was one trade, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> one tiny little trade, right it, mm. uh, in the scheme of things. But it was a good one, and I'm going to yeah. take it
0: good
1: on you. So in this kind of market where you're not throwing money at anything and you've made the point, there's a few areas of are looking a little bit too hot for your liking. Mm. Are there any areas that you think people should really be exercising some caution?
0: Yeah. I I've, Again, I'm on record as saying, I think there's an ESG bubble going on. And again, I hate the term, use the term bubble, but there is ESG excess happening. Um, the cholerary of that is that there's a sin stock sale going on so I think there's some of that has been corrected we've seen um, these sin stocks go up in price so we we now in two of our portfolios and not the ethical one we had we had casino operators we had coal energy and all those stocks have have lifted a long way I still think there is opportunity in sin stocks and I still think these ESG stocks, are a bit too hot and i just be careful about about those um esg stocks i i think we, we, we're talking really about uh, anything with you know green in the title so uh you know um especially ev stocks um renewable energy stocks um lithium and battery related uh, businesses. All these areas are super hot, and they're actually filled with uncertainty. A lot of capital is being thrown into these industries, and if there's one certain way to reduce a business's return over time is the introduction of fresh capital. Um, so you know the opposite's happening in coal and energy, where you're not really getting, despite very high prices, you're not getting an influx of of capital into those industries, and I think that's why you'll see sustaining high returns from from them. Um, and the opposite is is true of a lot of these um, EV battery green areas where there's so much money being deployed, it's bound to lower returns over time.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I did a podcast with NABs uh, Resources Analyst or then NABs Resources Analyst or Head of Resources Research, when I want to say 12 months ago, and mm-hmm. he made very similar comments, which is like short-term, I'm really bullish on coal on mm. gas <laughs> and mm. on oil he said longer term i am not bullish on those things but short term there is some real money to be made it's yeah. um you know that that uh, we haven't made the transition yet and because you can't and won't bring new supply online for most of those things uh yeah. those those who are holding them for the right amount of time could do very mm-hmm. nicely it uh and then the longer term story is something else entirely but it can take a while to play out
0: yeah no i agree and then, as i said, every month that um that these prices these commodity prices hold in, in energy and coal um, the equity values just keep rising I mean to give you some indication if if um, I think uh, Whitehaven is currently a, like a four billion dollar business um you know I reckon they'll make two billion dollars in free cash flow free cash flow um, this year at that spot you know they're probably trading it at, at one and a half times earnings. Um, if we get anywhere close to, to spot prices uh, you know I, I don't these spot prices are extremely hot so we don't want to we don't want to invest on the basis that there's you know there's there's going to be uh spot prices in into perpetuity but it, it shows you that every for every month that prices stay where they are there is enormous free cash flow coming in balance sheets have been repaired and management i think this is crucial management is now just handing cash back every Super. Every additional dollar that comes through that door is being paid out in dividends or is going into buybacks, and and that lowers the risk tremendously.
1: So, just as we come to a close, what advice do you have for investors who haven't seen this kind of market before?
0: I think, regardless of the kind of market we're we in, there is there is always opportunity, and and I think the first task. Um, of the investor is to understand what kind of investor you are, what kind of person you are. As I said earlier, there are there are two things you got to do. You got to get analysis right, and you have to have some control over your emotion. And you can really only do both of those things really if you if you understand what kind of person you are, and and it's okay to invest in a style that's different to me and to different to someone else, um, as long as it's consistent with your own personality and your own psychology. I think that's really important you know when i when i first started investing i was a very numbers focused investor who, who really looked at the quantitative side built a lot of excel models and only invested with with very strict numerical rules and and that's just not me as a person and it's not uh, you know i didn't find great success that way even though others do um so you got to you know you got to experiment a little bit but you got to try and un- as fast as possible, understand what kind of person you are, what kind of investor you are. And um, and the best advice, I think, is is the most boring. Just invest for the long term. Um, I think the greatest advantage you can have as an individual investor over well-resourced, um, huge corporate investors is is to invest for the long term and, and forget about what the index and the aggregate is telling you. Your, your job is to really define... Decent businesses trading at good valuations and and hang on to them while they remain decent businesses trading at good valuations. It's it, I think someone said that investing is um, simple, but it's not easy, and I think that uh, that describes it perfectly. So keep it simple um, and uh, understand yourself. Uh, I think you most people should be able to get at least average returns by doing that.
1: Oh, I like that a lot. Uh, someone I'm close to who works uh, directly with professional investors made Mm -hmm. a comment once it's really stuck with me when you were talking about how you personally invest and and what has worked for you Mm -hmm. despite having all the analytical skills uh, and he made the comment that he knew some of the you know most analytical people in the world right their the numbers were extraordinary they could see down deeply into a business and understand mm-hmm. it so well but really terrible at picking stocks because couldn't read the market <laughs> really yeah. bad at picking the market couldn't see how other people were viewing it and I thought that was really telling like it's great that you can do the numbers but you need another feel um mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um you can be uh you know there's there's a lot to be said for being wrong in the short term and right in the long term, but to be wrong all the time, that's upsetting <laughs> because, because you don't agree with the market. It's, um And having a bit of that soft skill and ability to anticipate how people are going to respond to something is really helpful. Gaurav, you often provide commentary in the media. You produce some excellent research. Where can people go to find out more about Intelligent Investor and the work that you do?
0: Oh, well we have a um a research service which is at intelligenceinvestor.com.au. Um you can sign up as a subscriber, or we have three funds. They're listed on the ASX. Um they're actively managed um, and um they've got great track records. Um we have a growth income and ethical fund. Um you can find them on the ASX or through the website. But um but either way, it'll be drop me a line and say hello if you if you end up um uh, finding me somewhere.
1: <laughs> it's um they can find you on your website surely
0: uh yeah i i, I'm, I think so yes <laughs> we've got a um we've actually been um integrated with a business called in, in best smart which also includes uh eureka report which is alan kohler's um uh business and and so you, you get a, a fair bit with a membership not that i'm trying to sell you or anything but uh but yeah it's all it should be all there so if you're if you look for Intelligent Investor, you're bound to find us.
1: Oh, lots of great minds there, right?
0: Well, uh, yeah, i like to think so.
1: Guru <laughs> <laughs> Absodi from Intelligent Investor. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Jim. It's been great to speak to you.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We've received some fantastic feedback from you guys. We love getting your questions and topics that you want to hear about. That's always super helpful. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.